0: Welcome back to Sustainably Influenced. I'm your host, Bianca Foley. In this season, we're discussing the relationship between the tech space and sustainability. Technology has the power to revolutionize the way we live and do things. And this has never been more important than in the current climate crisis. In recent years, the world has faced increasing challenges related to global warming, loss of biodiversity and resource depletion. However, technology has the potential to provide solutions and mitigate the impact of these problems. Advances in areas such as renewable energy, energy efficiency, sustainable transportation and smart cities can help us to transition to a more sustainable future. As businesses set ever more ambitious environmental, social and governance goals, their sustainability and technology strategies need to become more tightly aligned. Over the course of this season, I'll be diving into these strategies speaking to disruptors and free thinkers in the industry who are using technology-based solutions to combat the climate crisis. So in recent years, sustainability has become a top priority for many brands as consumers demand environmentally friendly and socially responsible products, me being one of them. (laughs) However, ensuring that the supply chain is environmentally friendly and socially responsible isn't really an easy task brands are now turning to things like blockchain technology to track and trace their products from source to shelf helping them to achieve their sustainability goals now it goes without saying i'm definitely no expert but as part of my research for this episode i thought it would be really vital to include a bit more information as to what blockchain really is so i guess in simple terms Blockchain is a digital record keeping technology that allows people to create a secure and unchangeable record of transactions. Imagine a digital ledger that stores information in blocks, and where each block contains a unique code. And it's kind of linked to the previous block, creating a chain of blocks, hence the name blockchain. The chain of blocks is then stored on many computers across a network, making it very, very difficult to tamper with or change in any way. And it makes it more difficult when it comes to wanting to change the information on the blockchain. They can be used for a variety of applications, including cryptocurrency transactions, supply chain management and even more. So let's talk a little bit more about traceability and blockchain and how it's helping supply chain a bit. So blockchain enabled traceability kind of provides an unchangeable and transparent record of all transactions that occur in a supply chain. This then allows brands to track their products from the source to shelf, ensuring that their suppliers meet the required sustainability standards. For example, a brand can track the origin of raw materials and monitor the production process, ensuring that there's no illegal deforestation or exploitation of the workers. Brands can also then monitor the transportation of goods ensuring that they are then transported in an environmentally friendly manner. And especially for more conscious or eco-friendly brands, things like this are so, so important. One of the key benefits of using this kind of technology to enable traceability is that it can help brands to really improve their sustainability reporting. And with so many brands sort of trying to communicate their sustainability pledges and goals... Things like this will actually help that and stop things like a greenwashing, but also things like green hushing where brands are actually, (laughs) they may have credentials and they're not talking about them because they don't know how to effectively communicate them. Brands can also use the information gathered through this tech to demonstrate their commitment to sustainability. And to show consumers that their products are environmentally friendly and socially responsible at the same time. Brands can also use the data to benchmark their sustainability performance against other brands in the industry, allowing them to make continuous improvements. Utilising this form of tech also helps to reduce waste in the supply chain, which I think is one of the biggest things. Brands can use the technology to track the movements of their products and identify areas where waste occurs. For example, they can track the movement of unsold goods in the supply chain and work with suppliers to reduce that waste. So if they're creating too many products and there's unsold items, they can reduce the number of units and SKUs that are being made, which I think is probably the first point in reducing the amount of waste fashion or fashion that's ending up in landfill. Brands can also track the expiration dates of their products. So let's just say you're talking about food or beauty products that have an expiration date. Then it reduces the number of products that go to waste due to spoilage. Today, I'm speaking with a couple of really great guests. I have to say these conversations were really uplifting for me. And especially as somebody who doesn't know an awful lot about this area. It was nice to speak to two women who work in the tech space and can speak so eloquently and passionately about their area of expertise. So first up, I'm speaking to Erin Murphy, Chief Growth Officer of Topple. Founded in 2017, Topple helps businesses and other groups change the world. Topple has created the world's first blockchain designed for impact. So thanks for joining me, Erin. So what is the Topple blockchain and how does it maximize impact?
1: Yeah, so thanks for having me, Bianca. I guess I'll start off with our mission statement, and then I can kind of get into kind of unpacking it, what it means. Um, So Topple works every day to enable the development of a new, more inclusive and sustainable economy through purpose-built blockchain tech. We are relentless in our drive to develop world-class, decentralized, and open systems that uplift and empower the next billion and unlock the economic potential of positive impact. We believe that distributed ledger technology makes it economically feasible to, in quotes here, build good. And so, Topple's a layer zero, public, permissionless, proof of stake blockchain that's designed, as you kind of mentioned in your intro there, to exclusively focus on the impact and sustainability space. And so, what does that actually mean? So, that means that every single engineering and design decision we've made over the last five, six years since we were founded, has started with this question of how can we best empower impact and sustainability projects? So that's everything from our underlying consensus layer, which we've built to be as inclusive as possible, to how we designed our ledger and accounting system, our smart contract language, and all the way through to our tokenomics, and just really asking the question of how can the protocol itself even help fund at some point some of these initiatives. And the reason why we're focusing on this space I would say is really because I think we need to redefine what we mean by impact. You know, a lot of times companies talk about ESG and we sort of wonder is is ESG just a new permutation of CSR? We just gave it a different name. But ultimately, you know, for impact to be something that businesses adopt we need to prove that there's value creation in it right and so if we think about the way that a lot of impact initiatives and sustainability initiatives work today a lot of times companies basically have to invest new capital every time they want to either i don't know sequester a new ton of carbon or sponsor a new preservation project of the rainforest so every time we're talking about fresh capital that needs to be allocated and Topple's really working toward a world where we can actually kind of close that system and make these impact initiatives profit generating. So if we can capture the money and the profits, the benefits from this one turn of this proverbial flywheel can really kind of power the next. And we really think that Web3 is a great ecosystem in which to
0: make that possible. It's really, really interesting. And I think it's good to hear somebody say we need to think about what um, impact means like we need to think about what that actually means and I know you guys are partnering with so many I know you guys are partnering with so many different sectors across every industry possible so whether it's supply chain finance medicine I've got a list here of like mining agriculture and even growing other fields like how are you able to support so many projects across such a broad number of industries and still manage what that impact means
1: Yeah, so I think it's important to think about blockchain, or at least the way we at top will think about it. You know, we really think of ourselves as an infrastructure. Oftentimes, I've heard people in the industry use analogies such as, I don't know, like highways or plumbing systems or foundations. But in a sense, if we think about Web3 as the next generation of the internet, you know, we can kind of see how, oh, well, there's a lot of businesses who have benefited from using the internet. So there are a lot of businesses who could probably benefit from implementing blockchain. But we really try to think about this, even back to our early days, as how can we actually, again, prove this idea of value creation. So we've kind of always theorized or hypothesized that for the world to see mass adoption of blockchain we need it to be commercially attractive right so we've really tried to prioritize understanding how different commercial sectors can utilize this tech and prove that blockchain's not just a solution looking for a problem it's you know often kind of framed that way and in an effort to focus on this nexus of business use cases and impact. We, to your point earlier, we did really kind of cut our teeth, so to speak, in supply chain and traceability. So we started with diamonds and then moved into coffee and spices and other agricultural products. We also traced COVID vaccines during the pandemic. And eventually this kind of led us to the launch of a traceability platform for different types of supply chains. And then we've, in doing that, have really sort of seen you know, there are a lot of things in supply chains that can also be, where value can also be realized that maybe it hasn't yet. So if you think about a particularly sustainable supply chain where less water is being used or less carbon is being emitted, right, those are really value creating assets that Topple likes to think about, well, how can we incentivize people to do more of these activities? And so I think that, For us, you know, yes, it's a broad range of use cases. And to be fair, I think, you know, we ourselves are still kind of in this process of navigating, well, what are the ones that are really best suited for our ecosystem? And what are the ones that are actually driving the most impact on the ground? But ultimately, in truth, I think we'd be hard pressed to find an industry that really couldn't benefit from at least exploring how
0: to apply blockchain to their operations. I mean, just as a side question, more for my own knowledge and understanding than anything, do you think there's any area that it couldn't be applied to at all?
1: Well, you know, I think it's a bit of a scale, right? I think if we're looking at a company where, and we've actually seen several companies, specifically large enterprises, right, who are looking to implement blockchain and maybe a couple of years later have said, well, actually this didn't really deliver the value we expected. A lot of times I think, and this is kind of broad stroke, so I'm not really giving a specific example here, but if we're thinking about Some of the primary benefits, which are sort of making public commitments to things. We've seen a lot of enterprises try to go about this by using private or their own blockchains or blockchains that are specifically created for enterprises to use internally. And I would just kind of argue that conceptually, that's perhaps a little bit (laughs) half-baked. And so you might not be able to see the full benefits of that, right? So perhaps suppliers or consumers or investors, if they're not parties to that information, it's hard to see what value that's creating. There's also a lot of cases where sometimes a traditional database will do the trick. You don't necessarily need something that's distributed and immutable. But I think broadly that the kind of upsets that I would say industries have seen are really when the technology has not been
0: fully exploited or used to its full potential. Thank you for explaining that because it puts it in a little bit more perspective for me personally. But I really want to hone in on something that you said in your previous comment about traceability and how you started working with a traceability platform. And how does blockchain tech enhance the traceability of products in the supply chain?
1: I think it's kind of three primary components. I think the first thing is security. So unlike traditional databases, blockchain is immutable and it's a distributed ledger. So that immutability, that means, okay, it's append only. So data, once it's written to the blockchain, cannot be manipulated afterward. And I think that's an important piece if we're talking about accountability and transparency in a supply chain. And, you know, when we think about the value of a tech Technology being distributed, we've seen data breaches, you know, like Target or Equifax in the last couple of years where millions of people were negatively affected. And I think, you know, we in the kind of Web3 space just ask the question, you know, why would we choose to have a single source of failure? Right. The second piece is transparency. I think that blockchain really has the potential to help supply chains achieve truly unprecedented levels of transparency so we can think about leveraging satellite imaging or you know other types of photos even videos labor and product data even chemical analysis soil samples from fields and you know we can enter this data either manually with the help of parties on the ground or with the help of IoT devices and so companies can really kind of create this comprehensive journey of their products and if they want to take it a step further, you know, they can use a framework such as UNSCGs or you know, any sort of impact assessment framework that aligns with their values and can really kind of communicate this positive impact in a transparent way. And I think that what underpins all of that is inclusivity, right? So in this decentralized sort of ecosystem, we're talking about a greater power to involve parties at origin, for example. So a lot of supply chains originate in parts of the world where we know that labor practices are frequently in violation of human rights or in violation of labor rights. Um, And so having the power to actually get the data from those parties is really valuable. And it not only streamlines data collection, right? Because we have more people participating, but it also allows for, again, a more sort of comprehensive picture. And I think ultimately what we're talking about here is value creation, right? So like If we can achieve cost savings because we have more automations, right, we also have this more sort of decentralized or democratized data entry processes. We've even seen because of blockchain traceability, we've even seen some companies be able to lower their insurance premiums. We're also talking about increased revenues from, you know, more verifiable green premiums. So kind of doing away with greenwashing and actually substantiating it with something verifiable. And then, like I kind of alluded to earlier, this idea of monetizing other sort of ancillary impact
0: activities, such as carbon credits or other types of impact initiatives. Would you mind just giving a blanket statement overview as to what Web3 is? So when we
1: talk about the kind of evolution of the internet, as it were, we're talking about the really kind of degrees of capabilities when it comes to regular people and how they can interact with this technology. So the first generation of the internet, which we can think about as web pages, was basically that people could pretty much read data. So they could read data, focus on different views. And this is kind of obviously when we saw the the evolution of email, things like that. When we go to Web 2, we're talking about reading and writing. So that becomes you know, a greater degrees of programmability. We see more blogs instead of just homepages, wikis, things like that. And that's really when we start to see instant messaging and tagging. And it's more community focused. And when we look at Web 3.0, which is kind of the blockchain sort of uh, state of the internet, we're we're really looking at reading, writing, and interacting, right? And so we've taken this from like a company focus to a community focus, and now we're even moving more to a like an individual focus, right? And how the user, him or herself can engage. This comes with this idea of having greater autonomy, more ownership of your own data representation as you know a sovereign entity essentially in the digital space.
0: When we talk about the Web3 space, I'm conscious to understand a little bit more about it in terms of how it's driving greater transparency and kind of dropping the barriers to enable more companies to get on board with blockchain and all these wonderful innovations and advancements.
1: Yeah, so I think if we hark back to this idea of transparency, I would argue that, you know, transparency in a lot of ways breeds trust. And so if companies really sort of take this step in providing this data or, you know, this evidence to support their claims. I think that in doing that, you know, providing such a radical level of visibility means that both brands and consumers have the information they need to identify inefficient, unreliable, and even unsafe suppliers that can be associated with unethical practices and as consumers increasingly sort of favor companies who demonstrate commitment to sustainability efforts, I think this can also bring in more business, too. And so I think if given the opportunity, you know, a lot of the data that we think about, we look at, you know, consumer interest, consumer priorities, look at things like the Pulse report, Consumers can really start to dig in, verify claims that companies are making, and and ultimately, I think, verify for themselves if the practices they see are corresponding to their own values. For example, if a company is going the extra mile to minimize you know water usage in denim production for example they can easily kind of showcase this innovation right and and they can build this emotional connection to the environmental or social impact that this innovation has resulted in and ultimately really form that emotional bond with consumers and i think that that's where this greater degree of trust comes into play is just by kind of opening the door and and letting consumers kind of just get a peek and see, oh, okay this is actually like what's going on behind the curtain.
0: Definitely. I think trust is the biggest thing when it comes to sustainability and traceability and also transparency. So in doing that, I think we're going to enable more people and more consumers to trust exactly what it is that we're selling essentially or what's being sold to them. Can you provide an example of a company using blockchain to improve sustainability through traceability?
1: Yeah, sure. So there's a coffee roasting company actually located in the UK who we work with called Square Mile Coffee Roasters. And they're really interested in using blockchain traceability for their coffee because, you know, they have all these sort of express commitments to things like more sustainable farming practices, fair wages for their farmers. They really want to be able to tell a better story and a more comprehensive story about the farmers and about the, you know, a lot of times people in the coffee industry will talk about how it's really a labor of love, right? It's an extremely collaborative effort. It can sometimes be very difficult with climate disasters and things like that. And so they really just want to be able to showcase how much work they do alongside their their suppliers, Another use case that I really love and myself being interested in very much in the sort of fashion and apparel space is a diamond company called Antares. And so what they're doing is uh, trying to bring a greater degree of transparency to mining practices in Liberia. And then I've also wanted to throw out, give a shout out to two UK brands that we work with that are on the top of blockchain, one of which is Monica Venator. Uh, So this is a Demi Fine jewelry company who I've come to know and love. I think they make beautiful products and they're really, really committed to, again, forming that emotional connection with the consumer and really sort of stepping up, making that public commitment and showing customers, hey, like this is where our products originate. Got this fabulous facility in Thailand Nov manufacturing, where this jewelry is made, it's made from recycled or upcycled products in a you know net zero facility. You know, it's a really sort of comprehensive picture that they're painting for their buyers. And then uh, the last one would be a, a new brand, Beatrice Bayless. It's a female-led London-based clothing brand that's that's trying to make ethical apparel accessible. And I think that's just a really important mission because so many ethical and sustainable products are sort of out of reach for the average buyer. And so what they're trying to do is grow their audience by providing that additional
0: layer of uh, transparency. They're all fantastic brands. We're big fans of Monica here on Sustainably (laughs) Influenced. And um, it's absolutely fantastic. And I've come across Beatrice Bayless before. It's amazing to hear, and on top of it, that you've got so many UK-based brands on the top of blockchain, which is fantastic. So moving on to my last question. Can blockchain-enabled traceability really help consumers make more informed purchasing decisions towards what I'd like to call a more quote-unquote sustainable future?
1: Yeah, so I think that the short answer here is yes. And I say that because You know, not only I'm obviously a little biased; (laughs) I work in the industry, but also because if we think about the status quo of third-party certifications like Fair Trade, Rainforest Alliance, some of those, and I don't want to diminish their importance, but I think we can do better. I think we can elevate our commitments, and I think ultimately it's it's kind of hard for consumers to navigate all of those stickers and labels, and even if they take the time to kind of go through them. You know, the reality is is that while certifications can give us insight into isolated supply chain information, they don't really show the entire supply chain process. But I do want to caveat all of this with saying that blockchain is not a silver bullet, right? So, for example, if a company really wants to improve transparency of its supply chain and share that with its customers so they can make better decisions the first step really is is sure, let's decide we're going to use a platform like Tracks or any other sort of traceability platform that's built to be a decentralized application. But they first need to answer and understand a few critical problem spaces. So the first is really what's the structure of their value chain? And and this is important because if it's vertical, then ultimately companies really need to make sure they have the buy-in from their own stakeholders, right? And Is the company willing to invest the education and the resources to ensure that their actors are held responsible for this data? And and if it's more horizontal, how much negotiating power do they have with suppliers? Because if you're a small buyer or a small brand, you might have a fairly hard time getting a supplier to incorporate a new workflow for you, like adding data to an application, for example. And so, you know, companies can kind of start with finding suppliers who are mission aligned. And I think that's a great first step. But ultimately, I think we need to get really creative with thinking about incentives, right? So are there models of revenue sharing that suppliers might be interested in or, you know, reward systems so that we can really make sure that different types of companies, large and small, vertical, horizontal, have these opportunities to bring as many stakeholders on board as possible. And I think the next... Phase, and this is where I think we, when we really want to understand consumers and their satisfaction with this data or with these processes being enough, I like to think about it as like a ladder of traceability or a roadmap to greater transparency for consumers. So in the early phases, it's probably not feasible to have Every actor across the supply chain participating and uploading data, writing data to the blockchain. It's probably also not feasible to be able to, you know, just come out of the gate with state of the art IoT integrations. But sharing those plans for progress, I think, would actually go a long way with consumers and just kind of owning it and saying, like, look, this is what we're doing now now. But in two years, we're hoping to have even more data from even more parties, from every farmer or every seamstress or every miner. And we want to be able to share all of that with you. And I really think that this honesty and transparency is what consumers are craving. And I think ultimately, it's important to remember that they're not expecting perfection, right? But There's a degree of commitment and especially public commitment that I think goes a really long way with consumers and that they genuinely appreciate so that they can really just make their own decisions when they're looking at, okay, well, you know, this brand, maybe they're not net zero yet, but they're showing me the data that makes it seem pretty plausible that their goal of 2030 is realistic, right? And I think ultimately it's just that kind of visibility that consumers really want to see.
0: So that was fantastic. So thanks to Erin. Um, I want to move the conversation a little bit now and talk about traceability and transparency because I think transparency is the main part of this actual episode. But I think we really needed to get down to the nitty gritty first and understand what it is that blockchain actually is and how it works. So I'm so glad that we got to speak to Erin and listen more about how Topple are changing the world. But next, traceability and transparency are a significant part of the sustainability conversation. Transparency, we've heard this word for years. We won't go back to 2020 where certain high street brands lamed themselves as the most sustainable brand in the world just because they were labelled as being the most transparent. They aren't the same thing. Transparency is important throughout every step of the process from the risk management protocols, the product origin and the full supply chain process is imperative in order to provide clarity on the sustainability of a product and having trust in a company's ethics and sourcing. A recent McKinsey survey that was conducted in the UK in 2022 shows that about one quarter of consumers make purchase decisions that are actively driven by sustainability. I think that's really impressive, to be fair. Companies like Trust Trace are predicting what the trends are going to be for 2023 and what you should be looking out for and what consumers need to be looking towards next. So one key area of development would be to have more clarity with regards to the supply chain making it clearer to consumers what they're actually buying. As part of the new legislation, the EU Digital Product Passports, otherwise known as the DPP, will help consumers understand and track the environmental impact of their purchases, enabling them to make more well-informed decisions. The digital passport will enforce accountability, meaning that brands will have to take responsibility for measuring the impact of their products and step back from the industry's problematic self-regulation. So moving into my second guest portion of today's episode, I am speaking with Marianne Udman, Head of Sustainability at TrustTrace, who I mentioned a couple of moments ago. Trust Trace is a market-leading platform for supply chain traceability at scale with fashion and retail. Their clients include global brands, including Adidas, as well as sustainable fashion pioneers such as Philippa Kay. Marianne focuses on sustainability and innovation, covering standards and certifications, which are very important. Material Intelligence, life cycle Analysis, Compliance and Circularity. She leads research as well as joint innovation projects to inform the strategy and product development at TrustTrace. They're focused on helping brands achieve supply chain transparency, but doing so in a way that reduces the burden on the supplier, and many of which are based in the global south and have much more pressing priorities. Let's get into the conversation. So Marianne, thank you so much for joining me. Could you tell us a little bit about TrustTrace and how it is that TrustTrace navigate information gaps in the supply chain, which can pose difficulties for transparency? And also just a little bit about yourself, please.
2: Yes. Hi. Thank you, Bianca. So my name is Marianne and uh, I'm heading off the sustainability and innovation team at TrustTrace. And at TrustTrace, we are a SaaS platform for um, traceability and transparency, primarily in the fashion business. Uh, So we work with large fashion brands and onboard those brands onto our platform and then onboard their suppliers onto the platform and build up a whole supply chain mapping with that. We then onboard or we capture different data points uh, from certificates, POs, transactions about certain materials to really help uh, the brands achieve their sustainability goals.
0: I mean, is there anything else that you can maybe explain and go into a little bit further detail for our audience? I think so many people listening now are way more interested in the science behind stuff of how it works. So because this season is all about tech, trying to go into as much detail as obviously legally possible within a business. But um just to kind of provide a little bit more in terms of the logistics, I guess I'd say, of how it works
2: yeah sure of course so the way it works i mean it's a big project right it's something that we consider it as a change management process uh, within the companies because there's a lot of different departments involved it's quite costly and it really requires some energy from both the brands but also from the suppliers so the way it works is that the brand would get a logging into our platform and would invite their known suppliers Who would onboard onto the platform and they will upload uh, let's say for example certificates audits uh, any kind of information about transactions about the po's depending on what has been agreed before and that goes down until the suppliers that the brand knows directly they can then subsequently invite their direct suppliers so with that you're building up the supply chain as far down as you come into the value chain so in theory, you can get all the way down to the source, to the raw material. But that's really, really difficult and really, really challenging um, because of the, a lot of the materials that are being used are what is called a commodity. So it's something that you actually don't necessarily want to be able to trace down to a extraction level. Some is possible, but some is very, very difficult. So there, there needs to be different ways in how to do that. But just trying to get over the initial part of the first suppliers that you know and getting deeper into that, that's already a a big step and a good achievement if you're getting down to a, a lower tier.
0: It's really interesting. I think traceability is such a huge, huge topic of conversation at the moment. And it has been for quite some time now, actually, funnily enough. And I think what sort of sparked it was the transparency index. And brands like H&M coming out and saying, oh, well, because of transparency, we're automatically the most sustainable brand. It's like, "Ah, no, 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 you're mixing the two up. They're very, very different things. So something that's really important and that we've kind of been talking about a lot on this episode as a whole is something about how companies ensure that their suppliers are meeting standards. So How can they, in your opinion, how can other companies ensure that their suppliers are implementing sustainable practices and meeting ethical standards? Because this is really key.
2: Yeah, that's a very good question. However, I'd like to take a step back because before you can start improving your suppliers and uh, let's say working with them to improve their practices, I would say you have to first start getting your own transparency and your own traceability and getting a system in place and actually knowing your suppliers, building a relationship to your suppliers. I think that's the first step before pushing the ball over to the suppliers. The second part is the supplier education to explain to them why you're doing this. A lot of times the drivers that we see with regards to traceability and sustainability are not necessarily known to all the suppliers in, let's say, Asian countries or so, because they're not immediately affected or don't see the immediate push from legislation or from the sustainability aspects as well. So it's the education and really finding the motivation for them. Why should they do this? It's costly for them. It's uh, a lot of time consuming for them. So it's that part. So I think if you have these two steps, you build up your own transparency, you have a relationship with your suppliers, then you can start really working with them together. And a lot of times you have to keep into consideration as well that becoming more sustainable for suppliers means that they have to invest into yeah, equipment or better materials, etc. It's costly for them. So it's nothing that uh, suppliers usually can just do out of the blue. So there needs to be a support system as well, trying to find a better way on how to all work together and not just push the problem down to the suppliers. So sustainable financing, which is something that is currently being explored by many different areas, could be something that helps suppliers to enable a more sustainable practice uh, within that area. Right now, it's audits that are, let's say, the most commonly used tool to identify if a supplier is doing the right thing or not. Audits are good. They are one of the only tools right now, but they're usually a time-bound audit, right? You don't know how it is before, you don't know how it is after. And also, it's very time-consuming and and stressful for the suppliers when, when you have these audits. So I think the most important part is to really build up that direct supplier relationship and work together with the suppliers, because I think that has the absolute best results. And I think we're always looking for quick fixes. There just isn't a quick fix. This is a longer, longer process. And my personal belief really is it's all about relationship. It's about having an understanding empathy for each other and understanding each other's problems and limitations. Because only that way we'll be able to increase and improve the business that we're working with.
0: I really love that because it is about the long game at the end of the day. It's not something that can be done like, hey, presto, it's done. People have to work within their own business and sort out their own supply chains before they can start looking at other things and their other areas within their business. So the marketing and how do we market our sustainability pledges and how do we do this and how do we do that? But I think it's so important as much as we talk about the businesses and the brands, the conversation around sustainable fashion and sustainable fashion production. So many consumers put their onus on the brand to be the ones who have to make the changes. But I want to flip this kind of idea on its head and ask what do you think the role is that consumers play in promoting sustainable traceability in supply chains? Because we don't really talk about how consumers can make that change or enable that change.
2: Yeah, and I think this is a... Another super interesting question. I mean, there is a, let's say, small group of consumers that have been asking for more transparency and traceability for years. And they're very, very concerned. They're very conscious about the fashion industry, about supply chains, about everything that's going on. But the brands haven't really moved because of the consumer. So that means that these consumer groups aren't either strong enough or it's not incentive enough for the brands. And if you're looking into actual data, it does show that there's a data, for example, from McKinsey from 2021 that shows that 26% of the UK consumer strongly care about sustainability when doing any purchase. However, this same group also has an above average income. And and that's the point. So if you have to think about, uh, let's say you have a family and you're not above average income and you have to think about, you have to put food on the table, clothes on the table, everything else, pay the electricity bills. Sustainability just isn't one of your top considerations. It's just not top of mind. So that makes a lot of sense. And I think from the consumers, of course, they want to know, but also it's really, really difficult to know what to know. because. What is the consumer going to do with the information of a supply chain? It doesn't say anything. You have to put that data into context for the consumer to also make a conscious decision with that data. To make it simple, if, we, if we're looking into an example of carbon footprinting, for example, everyone talks carbon numbers, carbon footprint. So ideally, in the fashion industry, you want to have a shirt and a shirt that you can compare on a carbon footprint number. However, nowadays, especially if we're looking into carbon footprint and water and biodiversity, it's, first of all, it doesn't have to be the same methodology that was used. So the same shirt can have one score here and a different score here, just because they're using a different methodology. But it can also be that regardless of the methodology, you have a scoring for CO2, you have a scoring for water, and you have a scoring for biodiversity. If you put that on a product, what is the consumer supposed to do with that? Do they have to decide what is more important for me? Is it the water consumption? Is it the biodiversity? Is it the CO2? Because one shirt has a better water scourge than the other shirt has a better biodiversity scourge. What, what is it that you giving to the consumers, you're making it very, very difficult for them to use sustainability or to make informed choices. So all of this really needs to, I think the brands, the legislation, uh, we all need to help, consumers to make those decisions very, very easily, because only then, I think, can the consumers increase or the group of consumers will increase. I'm sure that you all know other consumers or friends. I know that I have a group of friends that aren't even aware of some of the issues in the fashion industry, that are not aware that if they order let's say, five pair of jeans in different sizes and they send the rest back. What happens to those jeans that they send back? A lot of times we go in our little bubble and we're a little bit consumed about everyone should know, but not everyone knows because not everyone is consumed with the same topics. So we need to make it so much simpler for everyone to understand and to really have that two minutes at the point of purchase for the consumer to easily make that decision. Do I buy this pair of jeans or this pair of jeans? What is the better choice? Simple. And I think that's where we're getting there. I'm, I'm very hopeful. I'm very positive to that. But it's still far away. So to conclude, I think the consumers, unfortunately, right now, they're not empowered enough to really change things. And I think that's also why the brands haven't really moved with regards to only the consumer demand and have only started to move now because of the latest set of the regulations. It's so
0: interesting that you brought up the issue of sustainability and affordability because it's something that I've spoken about time and time again and over 3 years of doing this podcast I can't believe that there hasn't that this conversation isn't something that I'm not having anymore. Over 3 years I was hoping that sustainability would become I know that it's it costs more money It costs more money to run a more sustainable product. But that's the problem, right? And this is part of it. And I think because so many producers run a discount for the higher quantities or it costs you less to create more, that is what needs to change. And I think by implementing this sort of traceability aspect in the supply chain, you can know exactly who you're working with and kind of hold a little bit more trust in the distributors and the manufacturers that you're working with. I want to ask a question slightly more focused around things like data and these wonderful words that we keep hearing, like blockchain, that not everybody quite understands. So how does technology such as blockchain contribute to the traceability and sustainability of supply chains?
2: Let's start with this one. I mean, technology is not a magic wand, right? Uh, So Technology can provide data, it can enable you for transparency and traceability, but the information and the data still needs to be somewhere and someone needs to enter it in the technology. So that's maybe a first part. We sometimes get brands that ask us, oh, can you trace down to farm level? Yeah, I mean, it's not a technology problem. Yes, we can. But do you have the data? That's the thing about it. So blockchain is a great buzzword, and I think I get asked that all the time. Everyone loves to talk about blockchain, but I think it's not many people that actually, like you were just saying, uh, know what blockchain means. I mean, blockchain in itself has a lot of advantages, but it also has some disadvantages. Some of the advantages, you know, it's it's open, it's very secure, and it's transparent. But some of the disadvantages are really about the scalability. It's very complex to implement has very high energy usage and everything. But I think blockchain will establish itself in certain areas. Because it's not really scalable, I think it will be certain areas that need to be more accessible for, let's say, a variety of stakeholders, such as, for example, I think on the uh, digital product passport, I believe we will go towards a blockchain technology because we need to have the data stored somewhere decentralized. It needs to be accessed by many different stakeholders. Every life-changing step of a product needs to be enriched. So I think on that part, that's where we're going, but we're still far away from that. There's still so many open questions from it. It's a goal and we're at the beginning of it and we're really trying to find a scalable solution for it. My guessing would be that this will only be happening scalable Don't count me on it, but in a 10 years time or something, we'll try before, but I don't think the perfect solution will be there. I think what needs to be considered as well is before talking about complex technologies such as blockchain, where we are right now, is we just need to go from analog to digital documents. There's still so much analog documents. And that's maybe the first step where we need to get to. And there is technology like OCR and artificial intelligence and all that to start that process. And once we have all that data digitalized, once uh, systems start talking with each other, it will be a natural step to become more towards blockchain with the advantages and disadvantages that it has.
0: Oh, well, it just goes to show it's not we're not all in the tech age. Some of us are still working back in the analog age. And it's funny that you mentioned that because so many people have said to me that that is the biggest issue that they need to overcome. Could you just give a quick definition as to what a digital product passport is? Please.
2: Yes. So the digital product passport is part of the sustainable textile strategy uh, in the EU, and uh, it will be a tagging device. So Every product will carry a digital product passport, meaning uh, it's information about the supply chain, about the environmental impact. And that goes along with the product so that you can scan, let's say, a QR code as a consumer or authority, and you can get all the information about that product, where the product has been produced, under which circumstances you get environmental information and this will help other stakeholders let's say on resale as well like on this on the circularity side so on resale on repair on recycling on all that part that is currently quite difficult because once let's say for example a garment comes into the recycling stage it's difficult to determine what kind of fibers it consists of etc etc so it will increase the circularity of the garments and also the accountability of brands of the garments.
0: So the final question is what challenges do companies face in implementing sustainable traceability systems in their supply chains and how can these challenges be overcome? I think we've mentioned a few of them but if there's anything else that you'd like to explain.
2: Yeah I think like you said we mentioned a couple of them. Um, one is you have to have the information so it's not this magic one we keep talking about but also on the supplier side it's first of all, knowing your supplies, but it's also getting the supplies motivated and having the willingness to enter their information into a system. It's a lot of work. They don't get anything out of it right now. So it's that motivation that is needed. Sometimes they have to fill in different systems because it's we're still very, very young in the traceability technology, so to say. So there is no... Right now, there's no primary system or something that keeps talking to each other. So there's a lot of obstacles on that side, which I think will will be overcome, but it takes time and it takes motivation, it takes explanation and education towards the supplier. And then it's the internal alignment on the organizations, on the companies, on the brands. So I mentioned earlier that it's a change management process. There's so many different departments that are involved when introducing a traceability system or a traceability program. You have everyone from production, you have planning, you have finance, you have sustainability, you have all these departments involved. They all need to somehow work together. You need to manage this process. It's costly, but also you need to have a clear alignment of what you want to achieve with it. Right now, the the legislations are driving a lot of this, which has made it easier for us to explain also to brands of why traceability. Just five years ago, maybe brands would come to us, I need traceability. Well, okay, why do you need traceability? What do you want to achieve with it? I just need traceability. They didn't know why. And now this this why is so important to really know what is it that you want to achieve with it. So we've seen that if the top management is involved and is really driving this, that's when we've seen the programs to succeed best. If it's somehow driven from individual departments, let's say the sustainability departments or something, unless they have somehow managed to align the whole organization, it's challenging to get that rolled out in a positive manner. So it's really everyone working together. It's also It's not something that you implement within three weeks. You have, da you have all the magic results. It's a longer process. It can take years before you really, really see the value of it. You will see some value, but you need to first capture the data, analyze the data, cut the data, use the data, and, and all that needs, you need to build that up. So it takes a while. That needs to be part of the planning as well. It's so true.
0: Everything is part of that planning. And as you were saying all of that, I was thinking all of this is going to take time and effort, but it's going to take investment. And that's something as well that so many manufacturers don't really want to put in because they want to keep as many profits as possible. So by having these amazing people using these traceability systems or methods of being more transparent, that then just shows that people are willing to change, and that's what I think we need to see that willingness and then that enforcement of change. So, yeah, I mean, thank you so much for that, and thank you for joining me. Thank you. All I can say is, wow, um thank you both so much for joining me on today's episode. I have learned so so much. These conversations for me have been really, really enlightening because sometimes as a woman, you can feel a bit left out of the tech conversation. So speaking to other women who live and breathe it has really, really inspired me. And I have really enjoyed learning about blockchain-enabled tech and enabling better transparency and traceability through the supply chain. It's something that I think if the industry were to put a lot more money into and start funding it more it would allow more and more brands to track and trace their products from source to shelf. And I think that that's what's so important. I used to work in supply chain, hence why maybe I'm more excited about this. So I used to be a supply chain manager at a large digital company. I'm not going to name names. I've spoken about it before on the podcast. But yeah, I think when we're talking about things like supply chain, we don't necessarily think about it with regards to the tech side of things. And to see this innovation We think about the tech in terms of building things and making things and making the product, but we don't think about the tech and how it's supposed to streamline the process and make it better because streamlining doesn't necessarily mean bad. It can mean good. So I think as a woman in this conversation, I think it's so lovely to hear other women who are really championing that and leading the charge on this change. So with the help of blockchain technology, brands can really start to take that first step towards a more sustainable future. In next week's episode, we'll be discussing whether apps are the future in changing consumer behaviour. Until then, you can subscribe and listen back to previous episodes of Sustainably Influenced on all good podcast platforms. You can follow at Sustainably Influenced on Instagram and TikTok. I'm Bianca Foley. Thank you for listening. This season of Sustainably Influenced was produced by Content is Queen, sound editor Amber Miller, research assistant Toyo Douglas and presented by Bianca Foley.